Welcome to part two of the Big Interview Q&A show for March. I'm Martin Gregg and with me today are Graham Hunter, host of the Big Interview and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. Questions as always from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and from our wonderful sponsors at Bet365. Let's kick off with a question from socio Ian Arnott. Ian says, after scathing attacks on Gareth Bale in the Spanish media, and the Real Madrid fans seemingly turning on him, the man is obviously unhappy with the situation at the Bernabeu, and this must affect his confidence in play. So my question is, do you think there is a way back for him at Real Madrid, or should he consider a move to Barcelona and get it right up them? And he says, P.S. I fear for Mallorca. So just a little bit of background here. Um, firstly, just to see if anyone hasn't seen Gareth Bale's free kick against Austria, then just stop the podcast now and go and watch it because it's a thing of beauty. Um, secondly, Ian is referring to Bale's treatment by the Spanish media, including a column in Marca, which referred to him as a parasite and of sucking the club's money. Bale responded to it as slanderous, derogatory and speculative journalism. Um, the strange case of Gareth Bale who wants to kick us off on on this Gareth Bale has caused an awful lot of the opprobrium that he suffers right now but without question without any question or interpretation or um, ability to, 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 to take the other side the things that have been said about him recently are atrocious they're out of order they besmirch our profession and it's it's literally disgusting. And then once you strip that away, when he talked about, you know, the idea that he wasn't available for a classical when he was needed one day, and then four days later, he's playing like a Ballon d'Or winner for Wales and saying, you know, these last few months I've needed all my concentration to be on Wales. What do you expect people to say or do, in my opinion? The the idea that this has been a long-running sore is is. It's deeply sad because there were times when um, he wasn't properly appreciated, when he was doing extraordinary things. And not just his numbers, his stats add up beautifully now to make him look like a, a truly significant footballer in the history of the most successful, most grandiose club that has ever been. But I genuinely believe that in a variety of different ways, he's, he's helped undermine his own legacy and that gives no context for how some of the people supposedly in our industry have behaved around him. None whatsoever. And, and I've, I, for one, I'm really sad because in the first, say, half, two-thirds of his career, I found myself often on radio or television having to not just defend him but go on the attack about how people from the UK or, or Wales were, were, were speaking about him because he's always divided... and. Talking about divided um, opinions, we sat with Harry Redknapp in his front living room with Barney, the dog, the dog barking agreement with Harry, where he talked about telling Joe Jordan to leave Gareth Bale lying on the floor because, you know, he was a wimp and, and telling him to just get up and get on with it and tell him to cut his hair. And, all. and listen, I might be old fashioned. I'd rather be compared to Harry Redknapp and Gareth Bale in my, in my perspective on life. And I agreed 100% with it. But what he did in football, not statistical or even trophy terms at Real for a spell was extraordinary. But I, I do think that he's... If there are idiots in the world, I do think he's given them enormous ammunition. Yet, where they've gone to is completely out of order. 
I think I like Ian's idea of him going to Barcelona. I wish I wish more players would do that. I wish more players who were pissed off with the way Madrid have cheated them and didn't sign for Barcelona and vice versa. Players that are not happy with the way that Barcelona have treated them move move to Madrid. It would make things a lot more fun. Um, he, he's going to he's going to retire. If if Wales don't make the World Cup. Um, and there's every chance they won't if Ukraine can play their games. Um, I don't know. If, if if Wales are not in Qatar, then then I think this will be Gareth's last season. I think he'll retire. And if they do um, um, make it to the World Cup, then he's going to look for a club um, up until the World Cup and no more than that. Um, and obviously it won't be it won't be a big club. It won't be Barcelona. It, it could be a club in Spain because his family are very happy in Spain. Um, I don't think it would be back in in the UK. Um, Jonathan Barnett would have to would have to find him some sort of uh, situation where he was able to. Although, having said that, he's, he didn't do too badly the other night, did he? Not playing regular football for Real Madrid, but he'll want to be playing more or less regular football in the build up to the World Cup. So he'll need a deal for the first three months of next season, and it could be a Spanish team. It's not completely impossible. Um, and regards the the column that was written about him, there are just certain words that you don't use. Um, it reminded me a little bit. It's not exactly the same, but um, many years ago, the Sun did a did a back page play on words, Messi and um, dog Messi, and it wasn't a very good pun. It wasn't a very good play on words. It was a daft back page. It didn't really work. Um, but Barcelona saw the words dog and Messi, and I think the Sun were banned for about three months. Um, you know, there are just certain words you have to be careful about. And I think the sentiment behind it was that Madrid fans don't like the fact that he's one of the top earners and he never plays, which is fair enough, as Graham says. Um, but, you know, the, the use of the word parasite was, was they'd crossed the line. Um, I just find it extraordinary how he's able to, to not play and then produce performances like that. Um, it, it's, just, it's just unbelievable. And he goes down as Wales' greatest player. And whatever happens... At Madrid, um, and and he may well not play again for them. What the the trophies that he's won and, and what he achieved in his third, first three or four seasons, you know, he he's he's the most successful British footballer abroad uh, to have gone abroad, and and you know, no one can take that away from him. So Mallorca is Ian. Mallorca is. I'm worried about Mallorca as well, Ian. By the way, but I think um, Aguirre will sort them out, despite the idea, despite the fact that it's not been exactly received with much enthusiasm. His appointment. Well, let's come up the back of that question with a, a good one from Socio Robert McIntosh. The good professor says, I spent a somewhat serial Thursday evening watching Scotland not playing Ukraine. If the conflict continues, what should Scotland do? We face a no-win situation of being the pantomime villain of Ukraine can field the team. If they can't field the team because some of their squad have signed up to defend their country, should Scotland and Wales stand aside? Doing so would offer them passage to one of the highest profile events on the planet and the media spotlight might help what would you do so really interesting obviously the scotland ukraine playoff is i think it's scheduled for early june at the moment but you know will it go ahead i mean um who knows at this stage but like what do you guys think how should scotland and wales handle this situation initially it isn't isn't about a football solution initially i don't think initially it's we have time as a nation and, and i think it might be that Robert's question was about Scotland and the FA and Steve Clark and players. But as a nation, I think that's the attitude. I think we try and do anything that our small, proud nation can do to, to, to increase the pressure on you know, that thug Putin. And 
and bring the world to a situation where by June there, there's been several weeks or you know a couple of months whereby whatever kind of peace has been brokered has been brokered and Ukrainian can play competitive football Ukraine can play competitive football again <clears throat> if they're not able to and if that doesn't happen then you know frankly we might be worried about bigger concerns by June but if, if it were status quo as of today then I don't have any doubt personally that you know it's 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 a case of force majeure. It wouldn't be Scotland or Wales's fault that Ukraine couldn't complete the the tie. And yeah, in my in my opinion, that if we've come to that point whereby schedules say that now, and that may not be June, but if we have come to that point whereby you know Putin continues his his evil fascist um, idea of invading and annexing Ukraine. And there is no time between then and the and the otherwise utterly noble and and, and pure Sir Galahad World Cup in Qatar. Then um, Scotland and Wales play off, uh, and the winner goes through to the tournament. But that has to be a last resort. And I think there are active things that Scotland as a nation can do to try and bring about a resolution in the conflict, and, and therefore a freedom for Ukraine to be able to take part in their their playoff semi final. Yeah, second all those emotions. Um, and I think um, it was going to be difficult for Scotland and Wales, even in the, if, in the event that Ukraine can field a team, um, you know, walking out into, into that um, semi-final and in the case of, 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 of Wales, if Ukraine get past Scotland final, um, because the world will want, obviously, Ukraine to, to make it to Qatar. Um, but there's a certain dignity that we love about sport um, that you have um, two sides both trying to achieve, achieve the same aim and the, tea, and, the, and the side that comes out on top um, following a, a, a pre-agreed set of rules is the winner um, and these rules that are integral to sport um, these are the sort of rules that monsters like Putin don't, don't like which is why they constantly flout them and break them um, so I think you always have to um, you always have to sort of stick to the dignity of sport um, and, and it won't be easy if, if Scotland or Wales go into those those games as I say with the whole world wanting Ukraine to, to win but you, you give it your all um, because, um, because you, you have a responsibility to sport this wonderful thing that we have um, Let's just hope the games can be played um, and, um, you know, um, struggling really for words because, as Graham's already said, if it turns out that the games can't be played, then it will mean that we're in a very, very bad place. I mean, if the, if the game can't be played in June, um, it will mean that um, events haven't gone well in, you know, in, in the months leading up to June. OK, it's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment with a couple more questions to complete part two of this month's Q&A. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're back with a question from our sponsors at Bet365 who ask, how can Atletico Madrid beat Manchester City in the Champions League? And just to add to that, social Chris Hennigan. Hi, Graham and Pete. I wanted to ask if the progression of Atletico in the Champions League quarterfinals, into the Champions League quarterfinals and the gradual return to form in La Liga has ended any thoughts of Cholo leaving. Also, who do you see Atletico going for in the summer? Rumours of Sergio Roberto abound, but is he really the answer to Trippier's departure? Um, and he says, thanks guys, Chris the Dancer Hennigan. Okay, so Man City take on Atleti in the Champions League quarterfinal first leg next Tuesday. There's a few different parts to the question. How, first, firstly, how can they beat City? But also, touching on Cholo's future and those summer transfer plans. So, quite a bit to unpick. Um... Graham, do you want to take this on first? Well, I, I will. I will take that baton from your hands simply because behind Martin, as he asked that question, socios is a picture of um, back page book The Immortals, uh, starring ex Atleti coach Arrigo Saki, um, author of the book. Um, one of you know one of their better authors, um, Martin and Neil have hired. I'd say. And it's been nominated for an award uh, this weekend, so congratulations to you two. Um, Pete's time you wrote a book. Um, I don't think I let it go through, but I don't think that it's utterly out of the question. And the the, the plinth to build upon is that it, it's become absolutely crystal clear, obvious that in any game, never mind against. Um, the wit and wisdom of Manchester City with their Harlem Globetrotter football. Um, Atleti don't don't compete properly if they don't have Savic and Jimenez in the back line, whether that back line is four or three plus two wing backs. It's just as simple as that. The stats are absolutely overwhelming. Um, what that doesn't say is that <clears throat> Savic and Jimenez playing is a guarantee of victory, but um, some of the... the the, the further steps to build up towards this, this pantheon of an unlikely Atleti win would include um, Lamar being absolutely fit, Carrasco being fit for what part he can play in the tie. And I do apologise, um, Dancer Chris. Um, I can't remember whether Carrasco gets to play both of these legs or just one of them, but across the two legs, he does play and, and he needs to be at his peak. He's... he's He's so fundamentally important for Atleti, not so much when they're playing against a team that they dominate, but when they're playing in adversity, because he is one of those footballers who 
in terms of outright aggression, never mind sporting aggression, physicality, athleticism and talent can turn a losing situation into a winning situation. That needs to happen. <clears throat> it needs to be really clear in Cholo Simeone's mind and before he thinks about leaving or not. And just for the just for the second, Chris, I don't know if you know, but respects to Cholo Simeone who whose father died um, over the last 48 hours, just 48 hours before we recorded. And um, for those of us who've, who've lost a parent, you, you know, it, it disorientates you a little bit. So I have no question that Atleti get a, you know, a fully focused Cholo Simeone as far as it's available to him. But um, it's a hell of a blow in his life, I, I think. And um, the point I was about to make that I, I interjected myself on is that I need to choose brilliantly about who's up front and and why and what role those footballers play and those footballers need to be ultra, ultra clinical if they're to have a chance against a side that will be able to pull Atleti around and open them up. I don't think it's a particularly even contest a priori. Um, there would have been times when, when it was because Atleti were so stingy they're not anymore. Oblak's problems increased a little bit. And, and up front, the two from three about Griezmann, Joe Felix, Correa, so long as they're all fully fit for next midweek's tie, choosing well and those two making it very hard for City to play out and hurting them, damaging them every time they get a sniff. I think those are, those are fundamentals to what would be a, a, a pretty sizable upset. Yeah, the, la- the last team to beat Man City um, was Tottenham. Um, Tottenham played um, pretty much five four one. Although Son was was also the second striker when when they had the ball, um, which is something that Griezmann can do and, and can do well. Um, he did it well against Manchester United in the second leg. Um, they defended deep, um, but they also pressed high if that's not a contradiction as Graham's just said they, they didn't allow City to come out with the ball um, uh, comfortably so the emphasis will, will be on the front two and it will probably be Joe Felix and Griezmann um, uh, despite there being a decent argument that it's Correa just because of that intensity that he has but it will probably be Gr- uh, Griezmann and Joe Felix because they're playing so well together at the moment and there'll be a huge responsibility on them to make sure City don't come out too comfortably with the ball but Tottenham beat them basically with with a with a very strong um, um, deep line defence and then the ability to counter attack. Although actually the three goals they scored, only one of them was on the counter. Two, two of them came from from the keeper. But um, that was how they beat them. It's no secret um, what City lack. Um, they spent so much time trying to sign Kane. They're now trying to sign Haaland. So it's pretty obvious what they don't have. And I think sometimes if you if you can force them into wide areas um, and, and, and they're restricted to, to putting the ball in from wide areas but, but far from the byline, then, then, then that um, takes something away from the threat that they cause to you. It's obviously easier said than done. Um, they're also kings of the, the foul, what they call in Spain the Faltita city. They love the little, the little nudge, the little half foul, just to make sure that you don't hurt them on the counter. They're brilliant at that. And I think it's quite important that, that, that Atleti, where possible play through those 
for two reasons. First of all, a lot of referees don't give them anyway in Europe, which is something that players, Spanish players or players based in Spain really struggle with, the fact that a foul given in Spain is not going to be given in the Champions League. So that's one reason to try and play through those half fouls. And the other reason is you want the quick transition. You don't want the free kick. That's what City want. They want to break your quick transitions up. So I think that's important too. Um, I give them a chance um, and I think if Griezmann and Jal Fields continue the form that they've been on of late then, then they definitely have a chance but they're going to have to work very, very hard um, as hard as Kane and Son worked in that game when, when Tottenham beat, beat City. And regards to uh, Simeone staying or, or leaving um, Chris's question I think the last time I resisted jumping on the bandwagon with the it's time's up for Simeone but this time I've been right there you know leaning out the window, tooting the horn, ringing the bell. Uh, I was convinced mid-season that it was all over, that there was nowhere left to go, uh, that he was never going to be on the same wavelength, or more, most of the point, Jao Felix was never going to be on the same wavelength as him, and that's just been transformed in the last couple of weeks. And suddenly Jao Felix looks like a Simeone player, and um, you know he's going to stay at the club, which is good news for the coffers, because uh, he keeps getting them into the latter stages of the Champions League, and he also cost a fortune to get rid of. So uh, it's good for Atleti. Just a, a note on Carrasco. I think his three-match suspension put him out for both of the United games and the first leg of the City game, so he might be back for the return leg. So, let's hear from Social Richard Cook, who says, I have a question about La Roja. There seems to be a further shifting of the age and experiences in the squad, especially noting that Pedri has been handed the number 10. What are the chances of this young squad going a couple of steps further than at the Euros? And Richard just adds, Luis Enrique is my choice for the United job. Could that be possible? I guess a job share till Christmas is a no-go due to what happened in the days leading up to 2018. So, yeah, good question from, from Richard. How confident or otherwise should Spain be ahead of Qatar? And then maybe one of you could touch on the Enrique situation as well. Pete, do you want to kick us off on this? Yeah, Graham knows the, the, the Spain team far better, far better than I do. So let me just try and answer the, the Luis Enrique question. There's no way that he'll walk out on Spain um, before the World Cup. And, and, and Manchester United need him to do that if, if he's to take over at the start of the season. When, when Robert Moreno took over from Luis Enrique, when he, when he had to leave the job because, he's, because he's, his daughter was terminally ill, and he then came back to the job and Robert Moreno said in a private meeting between the two I, I want to take the team into the Euros and then once the Euros are over I'll go back to being your number two Luis Enrique fired him and his, and his first press conference um, back in the job he basically said you know th- this is it was a show of disloyalty and, and I just will not stand for that um, I understand his ambition but for me uh, he, he crossed the line and, and there's no way that I wanted him around me wanted him working with me so loyalty means so much to Luis Enrique there's no way that he would ditch his group of players uh, he would ditch his uh, the, the president of the federation and, and will just walk out uh, with the job half done so he'll take Spain into the World Cup and that screws United's chances of getting someone who would be brilliant for them as, as coach I agree with every phrase every interpretation but I also I just don't think Luis Enrique is the, is the right man for the situation at Manchester United. That club is in such um, daily disarray, by which I don't think any of us mean how they play, which is the, the tip of the iceberg, the, the problem that's showing. Um, and Luis Enrique is somebody who, for, for my taste, I guess repeats taste, and 
both Hugh and Neil Martin have, have benefited from you know what he what he he did in, in club and international football, but he he's an extraordinary human being, and not for him reshaping our training ground, reshaping internal structures, um, teaching players that half-assed attitudes in training or turning up late or he's not somebody who comes in and resets a culture because he's far too stentorian he's um, he has has hair trigger trigger levels of tolerance for people who are like that and and, and in calling it hair trigger you know I've I've exacerbated it he would tolerate the way that the large majority of people at Manchester United are working on a daily basis for about a month. And either he'd sack about 60 people or he'd nick off and do something else. It's, it's not the time. <clears throat> In football terms, if they could play the, the brand of football, if they, if they had a situation ready for his coaching standards and ready for his insights and ready for his demands, there are things about him that exactly mimic um, Sir Alex Ferguson standards. There, there, there are more that separate the two men than link them, but there are things which are identical. And it's just not the time. It's not the right time. It, it, in another facet of not the right time, and Pete explained um, so eloquently. As far as um, Spain is concerned, Cookie, um, I'd like to sit here and, and, and be Bumper Graham esque in, in my capital letters declaration and say, yeah, winners in Qatar. But I think that there's a slight lack of goal. Um, and I think that at the moment, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to see how they resolve the left foot, right foot, central defence pairing um, between whoever might uh, displace um, Pau and Laporte. Um, because I think that's a slightly difficult pairing. But nonetheless, there are options. And I think the things that... that make me stay make me stop and hesitate would be how will Ansu Fati be we have no clue at this stage might be back in training next week but we've no clue about whether him avoiding an operation to to finally correct his meniscus problem in his knee was the right decision or not I have grave suspicions that it's another decision based on I have to be back I have to be playing now I hope not I really hope I'm wrong and while that there there are positives since Spain last played competitively, and they beat Albania quite interestingly at Espanyol's ground um, over the weekend, the interesting difference is being that there's now a, a still greater connection between Pedri and Gavi and Ferran Torres and Danny Almo having had a brutal, brutal um, year well, season because of injury until now, um, seems to have a penchant for, you know, Extraordinary goals at the right time. That you know, if they're in the final of the World Cup in Qatar, you know, <laughs> put your money on winning goal, goal Danny Olmo from about forty meters. The, the, Oyer injury is crucial. Oyer with Spain is that Oyer you'd like to see all the time at Real Sociedad because he's such a leader and such a captain there, and he is by far, by far, David Silva included, by far their best and most important footballer. But he's carrying so much weight. With Spain, he's able to do what he's, I think, pretty near brilliant at. 
And I think that their goal supply goes up dramatically when they're Thabal. Not necessarily from him, but assists, space creation, pace, brilliant left-footed skills. But but that idea about do they score um, enough, I'd I'd be interested in in discovering. Uh, One of the things I know about Qatar, having been there a few times, is that you know it's just a it's no more than a big city. It's it's effectively like a. I don't know if it's even it's not even a London. It's a, it's a Madrid-based World Cup with all the teams having training facilities and hotels around Madrid. Um, so with you know police motorcades, you 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 travel less in mid-season when just about everybody is is at their at their best in terms of physiology. Injuries aside, you're at your peak. You, you're firing on all the cylinders. Um, and you'll be travelling less than you would be for league games. The recuperation time will be will be absolutely perfect. Teams that are younger or more frail and, and less hard-bitten, who usually get gobbled up by a World Cup, probably won't be gobbled up by the Qatar World Cup. Um, that, that ability to be sharp, whereby, yes, it helps the, the physical athletic, you know, run faster, jump high teams too, it undoubtedly gives a premium to those that want to play quick, fresh, intelligent, sharp football. And therefore, I think Spain have got a chance. I think they genuinely do have a chance. Let's finish the March Q&A with a question from Socio Richard Cosmala. Hi, Graham Peets, Richard in Huddersfield. Hope you're well. I just want to ask you for an overall view on coaching in Spain. We just seem to get the same names just going the merry-go-round. I had to smile when... Javier Aguirre appointed a new coach at Mallorca. We've had Sergio at Cadiz, Mendilibar, Alaves. It seems like some presidents have like about two or three numbers on their mobile phones. Why is it? Why don't we get any new blood in there? I suppose you could argue against it by saying that the coach at Levante is not exactly pulled up any trees, but it seems to be the same old names. Is it the language barrier? Is it something else? It's, it's a bit frustrating, really. I'd like to see some kind of new blood in there and... Uh, I think Javi's proving what kind of new ideas uh, and new blood can achieve at the moment. So, yeah, just wanted your views on that. But, yeah, all the best. Um, Supercause is, is, is a force of nature. And therefore, I'd like to make this answer under a pseudonym and, and possibly some sort of, what do you call it, when you go into protection and you're, you're anonymous, like Billy, witness protection, like Billy Bleach in grass. Um, I... I think that it's healthier than, than Supercos makes it seem. Um, you know, I think when, when Sergio was promoted, he'd, he'd done some pretty good work to earn a chance to coach at Valladolid. And I think that there's a difference between whether a coach is, is young and, and talented or whether a coach is young and talented and the football's exciting. Where I coincide a little bit with... Um, Super causes. I think that Spain has retrenched a little bit in the type of football that many presidents, directors of football and coaches want to propose. I think it's a little bit less daring, it's a little bit less positional, it's a little bit less enthralling, it has become slightly percentage-based and, and Sergio is, is, uh, is an example of that. But if you try to tell me that he's not a good coach and that he's not extremely good at making teams hard to beat, then I would disagree. Does he set the pulse racing? No, but I would argue that Diego Martinez did. Um, 
I think most of us would have been unaware about how well he was doing in the Cantera at Seville or at Osasuna, but at Granada, um, I think, you know, we actually all actively miss the the coaching intelligence that he demonstrated and I think will unquestionably be demonstrating from you know June onwards again after his sabbatical that maybe wasn't maybe it wasn't wholly expected by him that the, the, the right club wouldn't fall into his lap maybe he's wait, waiting for Lopetegui to get the Manchester United job and he takes over at Seville again let's wait and see but meanwhile you know there's, there's only two people to talk about but you understand Aguirre because that's an all or nothing um, at Levante they've, they've done quite the opposite and they're going to go down and I've been a little bit vocal about uh, at Levante I'd have gone for Nagiri I'd have gone for, I wouldn't have gone for Lishi but Lishi has shown um, above and beyond his, his age or the mad way in which Levante gave him the job that um, um, Chico Catalan at Levante is slightly opposed in his thinking to what you're saying Richard and that he went no, this this guy is this guy is important, and he, he's shown prospects in in the academy or in the reserve side, the the the, the B team, and we're going to go with him whether he keeps us up or not. And Mini Ambrose, the the sports director, came in and said, "Yeah, I confirm that stick." And you know, I I think that <clears throat> it, it might not have been mold breaking in the way that Supercos talked about, but when Caldet came across to Celta Vigo. I think we were all tickled by the way in which he proposed his, his football. It was extraordinary. Um, you know, one organising midfielder in a, in a massively overbalanced attacking side, which for a while was enchanting, and then teams read it, and, and he's kind of adapted a little bit. Not, not massively in terms of tactics, but he has come to terms with what was going on and balanced it better. And around us, we don't know you know what's exactly what's going to happen but around us right now as, as Richard's question comes in we've got Xabi Alonso cutting his teeth at uh, Real Sociedad B we've got Raul cutting his teeth with Castilla and we've got Fernando Torres cutting his teeth at, at Leti and I, I suppose Richard would come back and say well <laughs> what I want is to see these guys promoted and I would say look in, 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 at the right time in, in good time not everybody does you know one season with Barca B and then becomes you know, ready like Guardiola did. So, I would take a more slightly more optimistic view of it than than Supercos. And, and while that merry-go-round of coaches, particularly uh, I find in England, although pizzas, everybody, uh, or was it you, Mark? Every every country has got its perennial favourites who who get in because of old boys' networks, agents, or faded reputations that that somebody dusts off just in emergency. You know, break glass for emergency. Um, I, I'm, I'm much more optimistic about the choices that are made in Spain and the, and the level of the, of quality in coaching in Spain than, than Super Causes. Yeah, I like that line from Richard about the presidents with only a couple of names in, the, in their phones. It would be a lot worse than that if it wasn't for the rule about a coach not being able to take another job once he gets sacked, which I've always thought is a completely absurd rule. If you're if you're sacked as a, a La Liga coach, you can't take over another club. Uh, for the rest of that season, which is, is is really tough, I remember. I think it was Marcelino got fired one one season. The, the season had barely started, uh, and the league weren't having it. No, you've been fired. You can't take another job. So the the um, it would be even more familiar. The familiar faces uh, roundabout would um, would be even worse if it weren't for that rule. As much as I hate that rule, uh, adding to the list of young coaches coming through that Graham's mentioned, we Graham and myself both work sometimes with with Lauren Lauren. 
um, at um, La Liga TV. And he's told both of us that because um, he's been on the on the coaching courses to do his badges, and he says that the one the one man who stands out and and has all the potential to be a phenomenal coach uh, is Fernando Torres, who's just started his um, his career as a coach um, somewhere in the youth ranks at Atletico Madrid, um, and because the media opportunities tend to be fewer for the ex pros in Spain, a lot of a lot more of them seem to go down the coaching route. Um, and there are a lot of Spanish coaches in, 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 the, in the top flight, which I suppose is healthy. I think 14 of the 20 clubs are coached by Spaniards, whereas in England it's only seven in the Premier League who are, who are, who are English, plus two from, um, you've got David Moyes and, and Brendan Rodgers as well. Um, so I, I agree with Graham. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as, as depressing as it sometimes seems. And I'd also like to stick up for the old gits because um, I remember... What was um, Pellegrini called? The, the the count with the O dropped out, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was Alan Pardew's line about him. Um, but he's still trundling on. And, and who's best to watch this season in Spain? Betis. Um, you know, uh, with, with Pellegrini at the helm. Um, and I think uh, Aguirre will, will give Mallorca a fighting chance. He very nearly got Leganes out of um, trouble, which when it seemed almost impossible. And, and that wasn't dull. It was It was fun right until the last game. Um, so there's something to be said as well for the old timers um, but um, yeah I, I, I see where Rich is coming from sometimes it does seem like the same old faces but I think there's enough fresh uh, managers coming through and Diego Martinez wherever he ends up is, is going to be brilliant Okay that's it for the second part of this month's Q&A thank you to all our socios who sent in questions for this month's show Graham Hunter and Pete Jensen thank you very much We'll be back with more big interviews very soon. I think the next one is Yap Stam. Listen out for that and we'll speak to you very soon. All the best.